0: Thank you to all the organizers of this event, the Belt and Road Initiative Quarterly Journal, the Russian Cultural House in Ankara, the Friends of Socialist China platform, which I co-edit, the Turkish Students Union in China, and Kent University. I am Danny Haifong. I am a co-editor of Friends of Socialist China. And for my conversation today with all of you, I wanted to talk about the politics of the Belt and Road Initiative and how the politics of the Belt and Road Initiative are really going to ensure the project's continued growth despite the Ukraine crisis, despite the fact that we have this monumental global shifting crisis that is underway in this very important part of the world. So I wanna talk a little bit about this political moment because I think the Belt and Road Initiative is really crucial to understanding what political moment we are in. So the Ukraine crisis has revealed quite starkly that there is a huge divergence right now between the path that's being taken by the US, NATO, EU, the European led world order and that of China. And so on the side of the NATO countries, the United States, We see endless war and we see how the United States has poured gasoline onto the fire of the Ukraine crisis and that it's blown back quite immensely, that there has been enormous consequences to the U.S.'s role in the Ukraine crisis. So we've seen that with the sanctions on Russia, which have sent shockwaves throughout the global economy. We see declining growth, stagnant growth. We know that the IMF economic forecast is a lot more dim now than it was prior to the Ukraine crisis. And a lot of the US's actions have to do with this. And on the other side for China and its Belt and Road Initiative, we see something quite different. We see a commitment to peace, right? And neutrality, cooperation, and robust quality growth for China and all of its partners. And so in this moment, it is pretty clear that the Belt and Road Initiative led by China and the over 140 countries that have signed on, uh, it's not a prisoner of this moment. And that the Belt and Road Initiative is not just about one region or another or a particular country or A pair of countries, but it really is an overall vision for global development in the present and in the future. The Belt and Road Initiative does what Western led economies, what the United States and its allies cannot do right now, and what they won't do, which is to offer opportunities for growth, opportunities for economic progress, and true investment in all areas of social and economic development. The Belt and Road, as Xi Jinping says, began in China, but its achievements really do belong to the world. And as I said before, there are 140 countries that have already signed on to this initiative since 2013. We also have 30, more than 30 international organizations, as well as over $8 trillion of trade and investment to this date that spans uh, more than 2500 projects worldwide. So the Ukraine crisis is a flashpoint for something that's very troubling, of course, and that is this great divergence that we see between the United States, its allies, the NATO countries, the EU countries, and China, and its growing partnership with the rest of the world. There is a divergence between these two developments, and that is important, but at the same time, The BRI is not necessarily dependent upon the whims and the interests of the United States and the West. So it operates almost entirely independently because the United States and uh, some of its allies, not all of them, because a lot of European countries have signed on, but some of them have decided that they don't want to take part in this kind of initiative. I also want to point out that China is no stranger to operating in conflict zones and in managing global conflict in and of itself because first off we have seen the world in a global war against the pandemic and still China has not only been able to extend solidarity and cooperation over this period but it's also been able to advance the Belt and Road Initiative over this time as well and it has been able to adjust its own economic and political development in a way that takes into account the global pandemic and that's why we see so much success in china and we see the uh, immense amount of vaccine cooperation and protective equipment cooperation that china has provided to countries all over the world turkey we know central asia but also everywhere right at the african continent has received an incredible amount of support latin america I mean, the pandemic has been its own kind of flashpoint for what it means to wage a war against the pandemic, and it really is a part of this Belt and Road Initiative, this overall vision. We also know that China has been able to expand the Belt and Road Initiative uh, with countries and partners like Pakistan, which Pakistan has been embattled in all kinds of conflicts over the last Ten years alone, whether it is the U.S.'s airstrikes that it's conducted regularly over this period, killing thousands of people, whether it's the fact that there's a border dispute in Pakistan and Kashmir. I mean, these are very sensitive issues, yet Pakistan and China's relationship in the Belt and Road Initiative with the China-Pakistan Economic Cor- Corridor, (CPEC), has only grown. Actually, it's grown to the point where... It doesn't really matter what is happening internally in Pakistan, the overall vision of the Belt and Road, which says this is about win-win cooperation. It's not about political interference or engaging in influencing the politics internally of any one country. That is quite starkly seen in how Pakistan and China have been able to build such a friendship over this period. Uh, despite all of the conflict happening internally in Pakistan which includes a recent change in political administration just in the last few months and this culminated in Pakistan actually being able to achieve its first metro system in 2020 amid a pandemic because of the China-Pakistan economic corridor and what that has meant as part of this Belt and Road Initiative The us right now the biden administration is currently traveling across asia in an attempt to organize asian countries south korea japan etc into a block against china and in effect is turning asia or attempting to turn asia into its own kind of conflict zone hundreds of us military bases hundreds of thousands of us personnel the asia pacific is becoming a flashpoint the, the biggest flashpoint in a new cold war but still China has been able to build even more robust relations with ASEAN countries, the ASEAN countries. And uh, this has culminated in some remarkable achievements in the last few years alone. This includes in 2021, the launch of the China-Lao Railway, the Sino-Lao High Speed Railway, which is projected to actually increase growth for Lao by several percentage points. And this is a country that was historically bombed to the Stone Age, as the language was used at the time by uh, the Pentagon. Uh, Laos was subject to more bombings than what occurred in all of World War II uh, during the U.S. invasion of Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia during the 1960s and 70s. We also see that in 2022, early 2022, Syria joined The Belt and Road Initiative, as a major step in its own rebuilding process from a war that it's been embattled in from the United States. The United States currently occupies 30% of Syria's territory. But still, despite being engaged in such a deadly conflict, which has displaced millions and killed more than 200,000 people in Syria, the Syrian government is committed with. China to rebuild the country and to join the Belt and Road as a means of both rebuilding and also revitalizing both the country and the region. So of course, the Ukraine crisis has inflicted damage on the global economy and it will have an impact on Central Asia, it already has. We've seen right, in the mainstream media reports of rail traffic slowing and the projections for economic growth, as I said, are diminished. But while these short-term challenges will maybe delay certain aspects of the Belt and road initiative, particularly in the Eurasian rail link that's often talked about, this is more than just about a single project or a single event. We are talking about a vision that is more than a century long. We're talking about an overall project and orientation. Uh, that is very attractive at the moment. And nothing about it is becoming less attractive just because the Ukraine crisis is occurring. Actually, I do believe that the Ukraine crisis is only going to make the Belt and Road Initiative more robust and more attractive uh, to uh, countries all around the world, including Ukraine. And why would I say Ukraine? Well, for one, the United States and its allies in the West offer few alternatives in terms of financial arrangements and means for rebuilding after war, whenever this war should subside. But even further, even more than this, the United States is engaging economically. The West is engaging economically with Ukraine. But it's in a manner that is only going to make Ukraine's economy scream, to quote Henry Kissinger, when he was talking about Chile in the 1970s during the US-backed coup there. The U.S. has engaged in both financial arrangements, loans, which uh, Ukraine will have to pay back and which will be a detriment to its economy, as well as this Lend-Lease program, where the U.S. is providing billions of dollars. $40 billion alone is going to be sent in military aid, which was just passed in Congress, to Ukraine, and all of that is going to be expected to be paid back. It's a Lend-Lease program. It is not... Uh, it is conditional, it is not based on any kind of grant. It's not a grant, it's not just a giveaway to Ukraine. And so in this framework, we see that the neoliberal path that the US and the West is taking is actually going to make the Belt and Road Initiative even more imperative for a country like Ukraine. And this isn't even to say also that the stability of the Russia-China partnership and its capacity and China's capacity to continue a relationship with Ukraine shows a political model, what it means to place narrow and selfish interests uh, uh, to the background and place in the foreground the interests of humanity. That is really what we're seeing right now with the Ukraine crisis and how China is managing it, and whatever short-term difficulties are going to come up out of this as we have already been seeing them are not going to derail the overall uh, trajectory of the belt and road initiative it's not going to derail latin america africa and even central asia's own desire to do what the belt and road initiative says it is going to do which is create a win-win model of infrastructure development that addresses the need for real south-south development that decreases uh, extreme poverty and that reduces dependency on external uh, external countries and external lenders. The Belt and Road Initiative is doing that. It has already been proven to do that. We've seen in in Belt and Road countries that extreme poverty has been reduced by several percentage points. Development is on its way. Uh, We have monumental achievements already in places like Pakistan and Laos. And that's going to continue. So while the Ukraine crisis surely, I think, should send warning signs to us about the dangers of war and the path that the US and its allies are on, I think that China's approach and the the BRI's approach is not just going to remain the same, but it's also going to become more firm over the coming period.